Hey y'all, Pastor Amel here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far sweeter. I am uh, not going to be having any ice cream right now because, well, I already had ice cream today. (laughs) So not going to be doing that again i got to limit the amount of ice cream I'm having. This is uh, getting a little bit out of hand. But I hope you have your favorite dessert, ice cream, cookies, whatever it is, uh, that uh, gets you the most joy and and satisfaction from your unhealthy calories for the day. And you pull up a bowl, a cookie, or cupcake, whatever it is, and enjoy it as we talk about uh, Jesus. Uh, specifically as we go into this uh, Tuesday Tunes. We're taking a look at a song, again, from my favorite band, Need to Breathe. This song is called Abel, A-B-L-E, not to be confused with uh, Abel from Cain and Abel, A-B-E-L, or Amel, E-M-I-L, but the way I pronounce my name. Uh, So this is a song that has been rolling around in my head for a long time. It's a song that uh, I play quite a bit, uh, especially when I'm dealing with stuff that you know maybe I can't quite figure out, which, believe it or not, is far more often than you might think. I think that's probably true for most of us. But it's a, it's a great song. It's kind of got a – it's not a real upbeat song. It's kind of a relaxing song. It's got kind of a gospel feel to it, uh, sort of uh, just the way it's organized and, and the way that it's sung and kind of the the chorus is repeated quite a bit to drive home the main point. And I hope you get a chance to listen to it. You can get it on YouTube. You can get it probably on Spotify, anywhere else. You can buy it on the album. It's from The Reckoning. That's the album a Need to Breathe album that this is on. But uh, let's dig in because this is a song, again, it's a great song. And actually, it's really appropriate. I did want to mention that before I got too fur- too much further. This morning, I had somebody in, uh, Jim Chester, who you, uh, you may have been able to catch that. He's the uh, Christian magician, the evangelusionist that I had on here a while back, uh, maybe about a month ago, a few weeks ago. And... He and I started talking today about suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? And I think this is actually a song that really captures at least one piece of what we talked about, uh, sort of the idea that, you know, we aren't as capable as we like to think we are. And if we could do everything on our own, if God never gave us more than we could handle, well, then we wouldn't need God. And so this is a song that I think actually captures sort of the essence of the gospel. If you are dancing around Christianity a little bit or or you're a Christian, but you're kind of struggling and deepening your faith, I think the number one thing that we all probably struggle with is this desire to want to do it all on our own, even when we believe in Jesus— even when we have faith, we fail to demonstrate a willingness to admit that we just we can't really do it. We can't do nearly as much as we think we can. And this song kind of captures that. And it's very freeing. I find it freeing for myself that 
I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to know. I don't have to be able to do it. And then suddenly all the pressure is off. So this is a really important song for me at the end of a long day, at the end of a long week. I'm not able, and that doesn't mean I'm less of a man than anyone else. It just means I'm not able, and and I'm going to leave it in God's hands. So let's dig in. All right, so the first verse here, there's a host of hurts we come across, none of which alike. From the air inside the birthing room to the darkness where we die. Though I feel I'm just as strong as any man I know, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able on my own. That last part there, kind of the chorus, has sort of an echo going on. So I'm not able, I'm not able. So it's it, again, it's that gospel feel, gospel type song. So what does he start out with? Suffering. Again, why it seems so appropriate given what I talked about with Jim this morning. There's all kinds of burdens that we encounter from birth to death. The air inside the birthing room to the darkness where we die, right? Life is just so full of pain and suffering and difficulty and misery. And they're all different, and yet they're all the same in a sense. Even though I feel I'm just as strong as any man I know, I'm not any different from anybody else. I'm not especially weak, right? So as a Christian, you know, I think there are a lot of people that, look at Christians and think, well, of course you believe in Jesus because you're weak. (laughs) You need a crutch. You're just not as strong as I am. No, actually, that's not it. I I, I think we can argue that Christians are just people that are more in tune with reality than the people that think they're better than us. Uh, if, If you think that you can do it all on your own, then you are actually just waiting for the two by four to come to wake you up to reality that uh, we all have a crutch. We all need something to lean on. We can't do life on our own. And I think that's actually what suffering brings into our lives. Suffering brings this acknowledgement. I talked about this a little bit on Sunday and this morning with Jim as well, uh, that when we kind of embrace our suffering and acknowledge it for what it is, what it's trying to teach us, what, what suffering is teaching us what God is trying to teach us in the suffering, not that he's causing it or wants us to suffer, uh, but but what's in suffering is this ability to finally see the world for what it is, to see ourselves for who we are. We are people that are utterly dependent. We are dependent, not independent, we are dependent. And Hurricane Ida just came through our area And there are so many ways in which we are now, in a new way, awakened to this reality of how dependent we are, how much we need other people. We can't do life on our own. We need linemen. We need first responders. We need all kinds of other helpers. We need our our city officials and our our city uh, employees, our parish officials and parish employees. We need governors and, and we need federal uh, resources, and we need all kinds of things. We need our neighbors. We need our family and our friends. We need our church. We need so many things that 
<laughs> you know, we need people that are filling the grocery stores. We need people that are filling the gas stations. We we need so much. We can't just live completely on our own. It just it it it's illogical. It's it's detached from reality to think that we are entirely self-sufficient. And so what is what wakens us up to that? Well, it's suffering. You know, moments like this, moments like Ida, moments like the loss of a loved one, moments like, uh, uh, you know, a cancer diagnosis or some other health challenge, um, aging, right? I often talk about aging with folks that have this struggle with, man, I just, I'm, I'm an independent adult. I don't like needing other people to help me with the basic tasks of my daily life. And what I often tell them is, you know what? I think when we're born, we're 100% dependent. And we grow up and we teach our kids to be independent. And then by the end of our lives, uh, by the by the end of our childhood, excuse me, we're trying to get our kids to be independent, to be able to take care of themselves. And, and that is a good thing. We want self-sufficient adults. But what I think we fail to recognize is that we are still dependent on a lot of things. And then we go through our lives and we kind of convince ourselves how independent we really are and self-sufficient we are. And we forget that even though we are self-sufficient to a degree, we are still dependent on so many things. First and foremost, the God who created us and who sustains us and gives us every breath. So when we get to the end of our lives, we start to see once again that really we've been dependent the whole time, despite that period of self-sufficiency from the time we reached adulthood until the time when we reached that age when, when we were unable to really handle everything ourselves anymore physically and mentally, emotionally, whatever the case is, you know, that we were really dependent the whole time. We were dependent f- for sure on God. And, of course, on so many other things that were beyond our control, but that God guided and directed to help us be the people that we were allowed to be. But then here we are on the other end of life, recognizing once again that we were dependent the whole time. So that's that's what's going on there. I feel just as strong as any man I know, but I'm not able. I'm not able on my own. And again, hurt, suffering, difficulties, disappointments, those are all things that are the only certain thing in life. Um, and and hopefully they awaken us to this idea that we need each other and certainly that we need God. Second verse here, carry around the secrets only heaven knows crawl into our darkened rooms where only victims go. Though I feel I'm strong enough to carry all this load, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able. On my own. I think what he's getting at here is that there are other challenges in life than the obvious ones like a hurricane. There's secret pain. There's secret suffering, burdens of traumatic experiences, of 
traumatic upbringings of abuse, sexual, verbal, spiritual, emotional. There's anxiety and depression. There's so many things that people are walking around with every day, these burdens, these difficulties, these these pains that no one else knows about, but yet we are acutely aware of every moment of every day. We have things that trigger our memory. We have things that remind us of past pain and, and even present pain that uh, trigger this awareness of our frailty, of our weakness. And though I feel I'm strong enough to carry all this load, though I feel I should be strong enough to carry all this own, here, here he's saying, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able on my own. There's a lot that we keep inside. There's a lot that we don't want to talk about, and we think that if we didn't talk about it, and if we stopped talking about it or never talked about it, that somehow it would make it as if it never happened or that it would somehow make it easier. But actually, we are far more likely to be able to bear the burden if we invite someone into that with us. Of course, there's licensed counselors. That's a really good thing, a really important thing to do. I've been to counselors and uh, they provided probably some of the best moments of spiritual breakthroughs and spiritual growth that I've experienced. And, uh, you know, they told us at seminary, when you get out, if you're going to be counseling people, if you're going to be helping people and walking with them in their troubles, you're going to need to have some counseling of your own. And a lot of parents out there, uh, a lot of people that have people depending on them in a lot of different ways, you know, you need to be able to unload some of that on on people that can help you bear the burden, and, and that's what they're for. But you don't need professional counselors. I mean, just having a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, uh, somebody that you can confide in and talk to, someone who's safe, just speaking about these things saps them of their greatest power. Because Satan can do a number on you to convince you of all kinds of ridiculous things when it's just going on here between your ears. Once you once you speak it, once you share it, you have people that are saying things like, of course that's not your fault. What's wrong with you? Why did you think that you could stop that from happening? Hey, you were just a kid, or hey, you were just this vulnerable person in this vulnerable situation, and, and somebody with authority or power, you know, they were... They were manipulating you and taking advantage of you. You know, stop it. <laughs> Sometimes that's all it takes is just having those kinds of uh, conversations about those secret pains and secret burdens can really just help you uh, get through it in a way that you never imagined you could. So, so again, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able on my own. Now, the... The the heart of this song, I think, is actually the heart of what it means to be a Christian, the heart of what it means to come to faith in Jesus. And it is this recognition that in some ways, uh, well, in a lot of ways, we are far less capable than we think. And we think that 
that God wants us to give up all these things in order to follow Jesus, that, that in order to be a Christian, we have to give up all these things and do all these things. And, and, and that is what makes it so difficult. That is what keeps us from confessing Christ and, and inviting that uh, gift of forgiveness and eternal life and salvation through faith in Jesus. But I heard this phrase, I've, I've heard it a, a bunch. I know Tim Keller says it a lot. He says, the hardest thing to give is in. And I remember one time he was actually telling a story about somebody, I think it was maybe up in Maine, whitewater rafting, you know, or or just rafting in a river of some kind and uh, there's a bunch of people kind of on shore watching this. They get caught in some kind of uh, difficult area. The guy falls out of the boat, and he's now in this, uh, you know, kind of, what's the right word I'm looking for here? You know, a difficult current, uh, some kind of uh, eddy in the water, some some strong force of the water that's pulling this guy one direction and he wants to go the other direction, spinning him around, something like that, trying to pull him under. And he's resisting it with everything he's got until finally he takes in water, goes under, drowns, and dies. But as soon as he died, as soon as he stopped fighting, the water pulled him under and pulled him right back up. A few seconds later, a little bit further downstream, and if he would have just given in earlier, everything would have been fine. But instead, he resisted. He fought it and and, and refu- he had to do it. He had to fight this. He had to fight his own battle. He was strong enough, and it turned out he wasn't. But if he would have admitted he wasn't strong enough and given up, essentially, that water would have pulled him down and popped him right back up a little bit further downstream, and he would have lived to see another day. Coming to faith in Jesus is a lot like that. It's We are, in many ways, resisting reality, the currents of life. We're resisting the difficulties that, that are in front of us, thinking that we can tackle every single one of them and that we can bear the burdens of life's challenges and and even the eternal implications of it, if we even have any kind of awareness of what that is or that that's even a thing. But as soon as we are willing to say, you know what, I can't do it on my own. I give up. It's the the key to unlocking the incredible power of God. Uh, there's a Bible passage, uh, one of my favorites. It's in Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, and Paul is talking about the Apostle Paul is talking about his struggle with uh, a thorn in the flesh, as he likes to call it. And he pleads with God. You know, he's not just asking God, like, hey, God, would you help me out with this? No, he's pleading. He's got this urgent plea to God, begging God to take away whatever pain, difficulty, or challenge, burden, whatever it is that this is. And God says no. Starting in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it goes like this. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, 
A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that's the idea we're getting at here, is that when we're willing to admit our weakness, we tap into the incredible power of God. Uh, And it's also, especially for my brothers and sisters in Christ out there, we're so busy trying to make ourselves look good and make ourselves look strong and capable to all the people in our lives. Like, hey, they're looking at me, I'm a Christian, I can't look weak. (laughs) I can't look like I don't have it all together. I can't look like I don't know what I'm doing. And, And actually, that is the devil messing with us. There's a passage here in Second uh, Corinthians chapter four that I go to often. It talks about treasure in jars of clay. Uh, Paul again is saying, "But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So here's this idea. It's in this treasure is in jars of clay so that people recognize that the outside is weak and fragile. But it's what's inside, the power that's at work in us, God who's at work in us, his spirit at work in us, that is what works miracles. That is what strengthens us and sustains us. And that's what we need them to see. If, if they're looking at us trying to keep it all together all the time, well, then they just think, oh, well, that's a better person than me. That's a stronger person than me. But if they look at us and go, well, well that person is weak, but look at what God is doing, well, now... Now that's an opportunity to draw them closer to Christ. All right. There's a bridge here. And I got to admit, the bridge is probably, it's a lot harder to hear, actually, in the song. It's kind of like a crowd sort of chanting. And so it's difficult to put together. And it is kind of challenging you know what? What is the? What are they saying here? What are they getting across? Uh, I have some ideas, so we'll we'll go at it. We'll give it a shot here. All my actions, false or true, selfish motives, I will use. We were born with knives in hand, trained to kill our fellow man. If we're not better than the rest, how will children do their best? Find your patience, find your truth. Love is all we have to lose, have to lose. Because I'm not able, I'm not able, I'm not able on my own. So there's kind of like three things going on here. The first section, I think, is 
He's just talking about our tendency toward evil, toward sin, toward selfishness. This is what it looks like when we try to do things on our own, right? This is what happens after the fall when Adam and Eve say, hey, uh, I don't need God. I want to be God. I want to be able to do it on my own. I want to be able to do whatever I want. I want to be the one who's in charge. And then what do we get from that? We get a broken world. We get a world with so much pain and suffering and death. That's what it's like to live life on our own. Uh, I talked earlier today with Jim about how Jesus calls us evil. Luke chapter 11 Jesus is talking with the disciples about prayer, and he gives this example and says, hey, basically, you know, this is what you would do. You would give to your children good gifts. And if you're evil, what makes you think that it will be any different with your Father in heaven? Of course he's going to do good things for you. That's the implication. If you are evil and you do good things for your children, what makes you think God is going to be any less than that? But, he just called us evil. <laughs> so, And then this, this uh, section here, if we're not better than the rest, how will children do their best? And I would say better here. You know, you could take this maybe in a way that says like, hey, we've got to be better than that. We've got to not be hurting others and not be selfish and all that kind of stuff. But I would say that that starts with admitting we can't do it on our own. Right? How will things change? If things never change, if we just do what everybody else did, well, then what makes us think we'll get anything different from what anyone else has ever gotten? But if instead we say, I need Jesus, <laughs> I need God at work in my life, I need him to take over because clearly I'm just going to screw it up. I'm just going to keep going back into these sinful, selfish tendencies. Even when I do good things, selfish motives I will use, right? If I'm trying to earn my salvation, what am I doing? I'm really doing everything that I'm doing for other people. Really, it's for myself. It's selfish. And that doesn't make me any better than anyone else because that's the same impulses that will get me to do evil. Selfish motives will get me to do as much evil as it will get me to do as much good. So how will things change if they never change? And then find your patience, find your truth. Love is all we have to lose, have to lose. The the only thing we, quote, have to lose is love. If we don't give in, we lose love. Um, I think we lose the love of God at work in us. I think we lose the love that would be capable, we would be capable of for other people when we're not trying to do it on our own, when we're not trying to be better than everybody else, when we're not trying to earn our place in this world. We're not trying to uh, prove that we are worth something and instead recognize that God has already demonstrated that we are worth so much more than we think we are. We are worth uh, the death of the sinless Son of God, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we were worth to him. He was willing to give up his Son for us. So what are we giving up by not giving in? We're giving up that love and and that love at work in us and then that love that we can share with other people. That's what we're losing if we don't admit that we're not able on our own. And I think we also find patience and truth when we give in, when we admit our need, when we're open and honest about it. There are no pretenses. There's no, uh, no facade anymore. We don't have to act like, hey, i got to keep up appearances to make sure everybody still thinks I'm a somebody. No, 
I'm a nobody. <laughs> I'm desperate for the help of God in Jesus. I'm desperate for his help every single day. So I don't need to prove anything to you. And and that means that I don't need to pile on when you mess up. I don't need to point out how you have failed. I can be patient with you because I recognize how God has been patient with me. So, uh, brothers and sisters, I just uh, I know this is not something that is real popular, but it has really been helpful to me. I hope it's helpful to you. I can think of the prodigal son, which we're going through on Sunday mornings. You know, his willingness to finally say, I can't do this. I've screwed up. That happens in the midst of his suffering, right? He's gone off with the family fortune and he's squandered it all. And now he's in a a land where there's a famine. He's feeding pigs. It's the ultimate insult to a Jewish person, right? This is how far he's fallen. And, And finally he goes, I can't do it on my own. I need my father. And you know what? My father's got all I need, and I'm going to go to him. And that was the key to unlocking the reckless love of God, the reckless love of the father for him, and, and so many blessings and a celebration that followed. And so I would encourage you to take some time to meditate on this, to think about this, to pray about this, to to talk to God about it, and to say, I'm not able. I'm not able. I'm not able on my own.